the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Welcome to the SpotTrack.com podcast. I'm Kevin Sylvester along with Paul Peck and the founder of SpotTrack.com, Mike Gennetti. It is Super Bowl week. Surprise, surprise, the Patriots are in the Super Bowl. The Philadelphia Eagles, the opponent trying to dethrone the Super Bowl champion New England Patriots. And Mike, we're going to take a look at the money of the Super Bowl teams and how they stack up cap-wise and how these two teams were built. Yeah, so, uh, you know, obviously this is the direction most of these experts kind of said the teams were going to fall, and we're at a situation where we've got two really unique teams in terms of how the financial structures are built. But quite frankly, in terms of the numbers, they're actually pretty similar in terms of how everything sort of shells out for Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, what we did on Track is we took a, a really unique look at, at the starting lineups and some of the top career earners and, and obviously some of the situations going forward in terms of free agents, people who need new extensions, things like that. So we did a pretty thorough deep dive into this uh, in terms of the Eagles and the Patriots coming this week. And, you know, what, something that stood out right away in terms of these starting lineups and how things shook out in terms of injuries and, and how it's laying out for Sunday is we've got two teams who are going to put a starting lineup out there Sunday with about a million dollars in cap apart. So in terms of how these guys are built, in terms of how it, you know the, their injuries hashed out and where they are right now in terms of Super Bowl Sunday, they're very similar structures. Now, when you start to talk positionally, it's a different story, right? Because obviously you've got a situation where the Eagles are extremely thin financially on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, they're paying less than $2 million for a quarterback and less than $2 million for their entire running back core right now. So it's a situation where... The Eagles are limping and literally limping into the Super Bowl in terms of their offense and some of their defense. And the, the Patriots, quite honestly, you know, Rob Gronkowski maybe, you know, you know, notwithstanding, they're they're fairly healthy. They got they took some injuries early and before the season and were able to really kind of round into form and figure out a situation that worked for them, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Obviously, their first four to five weeks defensively were were subpar in terms of what they're used to and you know, we, we made a note on, on this piece here on SpotTrack.com that they've really filled the gaps nicely with some cheap, cheap bodies. And uh, they're looking at a situation where they've got a ton of money in the backside of the, of the defense. They're secondary, custom free agency and things like that. But their, their, off, their defensive line and their linebacking core is young, cheap, and, and really overproducing in terms of what their money is right now. So it's a really unique situation, and uh, we'll give it some, some talk here. You know, the, the interesting thing about the Patriots, Mike, is they are built so much differently than any other team. Uh, and to your point, you know, they they are very particular in the players that they select. And sometimes they select players that most teams would go, I don't want that guy because he that player may do the one thing that they need. So as you look at the Patriots to try to see what kind of model is there to follow, there is almost there's almost no model. When you combine it with the, the way they choose their personnel, with the fact that they can pretty much tell any free agent if you want to come here and go to a Super Bowl, this is what you take. And they have so many guys under market value. It's almost hard to draw any kind of roadmap of success. Right. And really, everything I just said about the Patriots should be no surprise at this point, right? Because we've kind of talked about it on this podcast before. The Patriots aren't built to be superstars. They're built for depth. They're built to last. They're built to be flexible. They're built to flex for an opponent. So the situation they're in right now where their defensive side of the ball has minimal cap dollars, 
That's exactly what they wanted. That's exactly how, how they've always planned this out. And, the, and the, those bodies I talked about who are filling in, that's what they were told when they were signed by the Patriots. They were told that they're going to, you know, they're able to give them this amount of money and their role may be reduced, but there's going to be times when those kind of players are going to need to step up. And we're at a situation now where we've got some, you know, veteran minimum contracts starting the Super Bowl. You know, one of the, the fascinating things to me is when you look at the Eagles and you look at the skill positions and, you know, they have a lot of money at wide receiver. But, you know, this is skewed a bit because Carson Wentz's injury at quarterback. And you have to tell everybody again, how are they only spending a million and a half at the running back position with the running backs that they have? Yeah, the, the trade for JHI was almost brilliant. It was almost brilliant. I mean, they gave up little to nothing. It brought little to nothing to their cap in terms of their their starting lineup and their situation going forward. And again, he's on a minimum salary next year, so this is right in tow for next year as well. But really what happened is they had Darren Sproles to start this year at about $4.5 million on their cap. He got injured right off the bat, so he's been locked into that injured reserve role. And their starting running back is just a couple of you know underpaid guys who have been overproducing in a system that's perfect for them. So really what's going to happen is Sproles will fall off this roster next year. They're going to have a cheap situation again next year. They're going to have to ramp up a couple of wide receiver positions and pay a little bit more there, even though they've done done so already with Elshon Jeffrey. But they're, they're looking at value really across the board right now. I mean, obviously Foles is is producing well at, at a minimum cost. We talked about Ajay. He's, he's dirt cheap right now and producing. Same with LeGarrette Blunt on his veteran $1 million salary. You get talking about a guy like Zach Ertz at the tight end position. He's already signed his extension, and he's he's pretty much already outproduced that. So he's at a he's at a point where he's underpaid. Uh, the, the situation with the offensive line is this is where they've spent their money, right? This is where they've dedicated money to multiple tackles for depth, good guards, a really nice center. They, they've got a situation where that's that's where they've decided we're going to pump a ton of money into some depth and make sure this is going to last. And we've seen it work because Jason Peters went down about six weeks ago. And they haven't skipped a beat in that rudder pass game. So obviously, you know, things will change looking going forward. And we'll talk about that in a couple of minutes here. But as of right now, they've got a ton of value across all of their positions right now. I'm intrigued by the running back position. And you just meant, you just analyzed the Eagles running back situation. But I look at the Patriots and they're spending, what, $4.6 million over, basically on four guys at the running back position. Um, but, but that's amazing in itself. Deion Lewis is a guy who was out of the league. So didn't didn't have much leverage to sign for very much. He's one of their most dangerous weapons. James White, a guy who is used more in the passing game than the running. Uh, they're, they're, they're more than likely, their highest paid running back is Gillisley, and he's probably going to be inactive this week. Yeah. yeah. So so we talked about how the Patriots sort of build for depth. This is a perfect example. They 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 did this 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 off season, and it should have surprised absolutely nobody. They signed three guys. They already had two on the roster. They, they're looking at five running backs on the active roster right now at about $11 million total, right? So, I mean, nobody's paid more than, more than they should be. You know, it, it's a depth arsenal that they can, they can release week by week. We saw it all year long, right? They were fantasy nightmares for, for <laughs> fantasy players out there, right? You never knew who was going to be the featured back. And that's, that's how they want it. That's how they address their offense. They want other teams thinking that too. So, I mean... Theoretically, they were the fourth highest spenders in terms of the running back position in 2017. But again, with five running backs at their at their hand, it was incredible value every week for them. So again, a guy like Gillisley, maybe he didn't work out because of injury and maybe a couple too, too many fumbles and things like that. And he's certainly a, a, a cut candidate for next year, I, I would say, just because you know he's gonna 
he's got a cap figure that rises above the Patriots standards is really the way to look at it. But it's a unique position. A lot of people have devalued it. But the Patriots haven't really devalued it. They've just spread it out. They've just said, we can't have one of you at $10 million. We want five of you at eleven. Pretty smart, too, when you think about all the injuries that running backs endure and the different styles you can have. And as someone who's owned a running back in fantasy this year, yes, I'm one of those who had that frustration. I, I want to go back to the defenses for both teams and where they spend the money. The Patriots and you know a lot of that's Stephon Gilmore signing him via free agency uh, to a big contract. But they spend money in the defensive backfield, and the Eagles spend their money. I mean, they're spending over $12 million for DBs, but on the defensive line. And in a passing league, it's one team saying, okay, we're going to spend the money on the guys who are covering the receivers. And it looks like the other team, is it fair to say, said we're going to spend it on pass rushers. Yeah, exactly. The, the the Patriots have a little bit more allocated to that that linebacker core than than maybe in recent years with that re-signing of Dante Hightower, which to, as of right now is a bit, a bit of a bust. But the the Patriots have done this. They they have said they're going to do this, and they've done this. They have shown that stopping the passing game from the secondary is the way to do it. You, you've seen them for years and years kind of allow that five to six yard pass, you know, in the middle of their offense. You know, they they play a straight zone most time. And it's worked out for them. They've figured out a way to put bodies in a run-stopping fashion to say, we're going to make you throw, and we're going to make you throw deep, and we're going to stop the deep ball. So it's worked for them. Their their salary cap has always reflected this. It, it is interesting that there's two sort of dichotomies in terms of how they have spent towards the defense, though. And really, it's we'll see how that impacts the Super Bowl because, you know, generally speaking, teams that blitz Tom Brady, you know, <laughs> aren't exactly successful in doing so because of his quick release and, and the way that he's been able to handle that over his career. So, you know, right, you, you've set it up as the Eagles are certainly paid and built to pass to rush the passer. And quite frankly, one of their best values, maybe their best value of the year, is a guy named Patrick Robinson. He's a cornerback. He's 30 years old. He signed a veteran minimum contract this year, this offseason, as basically a one-year show-me deal. And he's probably the top fit, top five cornerback rating according to Pro Football Focus this year. He's one of our best values according to financial uh, valuations that we do. And there's a guy who, you know, like on $775,000 is going to be asked to do quite a lot in the Super Bowl. Uh, you mentioned Tom Brady, and one of the interesting tidbits in your article is the career earners on both teams. And clearly and obviously Tom Brady is at the top. But as crazy as this sounds, at $197 million yeah. career earnings, your first inclination is, that's all? Yeah, yeah you got it. Yeah, he, he's... Uh, he hasn't hit that $200 million mark yet, which sounds ridiculous to say out loud. But yeah, I, I think really where he should be and where he is is a pretty big gap. I mean, if he if he were if he were pinching the Patriots every every contract like some of these quarterbacks have done and some of these position players have done over the years, you know, you, he's at a situation where he could easily be above 225 right now. So we're, we're talking about over $25 million that he has essentially put on the side just to say, I need to be able to keep myself happy and the rest of this team happy and successful. Um, there's no, I mean, there's no secret to that. We've broken that down before in terms of his, every couple of years, he kind of re-ups his contract to keep it low, to keep him active, to keep him cash flow. So yeah, 197 is by and far the highest in terms of the Super Bowl players. Everybody else is actually under 100 billion in terms of their career earnings. Um, but I did a piece here where I actually spoke about Brady should be surpassed by Matthew Stafford in two and a half years. 
So, you know, his mark is by, by no means going to be the, the, the highest of all time. Uh, he's certainly taken his discounts over the years, and uh, we'll see that going forward for sure. Well, speaking about going forward, um, will these teams have to do a lot of maneuvering in the offseason to maintain a roster and uh, competitiveness to be contenders? We, we know the Patriots have in years past, but will they have to do it again? Yeah, even if I say the Patriots are in good shape, you know they're going to make moves, right? They're going to make one or two moves that are going to raise eyebrows, and, and they'll do it, you know, whenever they feel it necessary because they, uh, they, that's just how they operate. That's how they build this thing. You know, they're, they're big traders. They're big uses of, of tools that other teams generally don't use in terms of the offseason. They're not going to be big free agent spenders. They just don't have the cap capital this year to do that. There's certainly going to be some people that fall off this roster. I think, like I said, I mentioned Mike Gillisley. He's, he's a top candidate. A guy like Martellus Bennett and Dwayne Allen, the, the backup tight ends. You know, Once you start seeing cap hits rise above $5 million for those backups, the Patriots generally uh, don't allow that to, 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 to remain with them. So there are some interesting uh, some players going forward, though, that, to talk about. One being Brandon Cooks. Now, I think all of us here, having followed the Patriots, know the Patriots just don't pay wide receivers. They don't. They don't pay really anybody top dollar, but they really don't pay wide receivers anything close to a top dollar. So, a guy like Brandon Cooks, who they acquired from the Saints last year, you know, he's valuing thirteen million plus in terms of his next contract. He does have a fifth year option next year, so the Patriots can just keep him on that and kind of let that ride out and see where it goes. But obviously, he's an extension candidate based on their need and you know in growing injuries to Edelman and Danny Amendola's and Chris Hogan probably falling off the roster this year. So there's going to be a need to rebuild that wide receiver core a little bit, but that's nothing new for the Patriots. <laughs> the interesting thing on the Eagles' front moving forward is what, if any, decision might they have to make about Nick Foles. Um, he actually makes more money than Carson Wentz, but there's no guarantee at the moment that Carson Wentz is going to be healthy for the start of next season. So how that might figure into what the Eagles want to do with Foles, it, it, particularly in a year already that is going to be intriguing with quarterback movement, uh, Foles adds to that as well. Yeah, Foles' situation has always been really interesting. Even before he took over the starting role with Philadelphia, he he's slated for a seven point six million dollar cap hit in two thousand eighteen, which for a backup is absurd. It, it's it was always going to be too much, but the problem is that they guaranteed a roster bonus along with that, so his dead cap is actually five point four million to go with that. So no matter what they do, it, you know he he's got an over under of two point two million here in terms of release or trade in terms of how that's going to that hash out. But yeah, Paul, you mentioned it. There there may be a need for Nick Foles on the Eagles to start next season or somebody right. Uh, so his situation is unique because obviously, you know, if he goes and wins the Super Bowl in a couple of days here, his value is going to rise. His stock's going to rise just because of the, what he's been able to do with this team for the last couple of weeks here. Um, and there will be teams, you know, who could use his services. You know, there's teams who are in transition who will be drafting, have drafted or will be drafting a quarterback who may need some sort of veteran presence to kind of step in for a year or two. Um, so it's not like he can't go and get a, get a starting job elsewhere in 2018. Um, but it's it, in my gut and the way that the, that the salary cap looks, I think a restructure and a, a situation where he remains with the with the Eagles in 2018 is looking more and more prominent. Well, especially by bringing him there. And yes, you mentioned if he wins, how do you let that guy go? Yeah. Just can't see it happening. So great stuff there with the Super Bowl. You see, you were thinking about your square pool and how much money was in there. Well, SpotTrack.com, the place to see how much money's actually be on the field in the Super Bowl. 
today's cap fact. All right, it's time for our cap fact, and it's going to take us to baseball, a rather intriguing and much-publicized story that's going down in South Florida with uh, Derek Jeter now running the show for the Marlins and essentially dismantling the team, Mike. We already know about the Stanton trade. This week it was Christian Yelich traded to uh, Milwaukee. Uh, They are systematically pulling apart the team. I want you to talk about it first, and then I'm going to tell you why a South Florida fan shouldn't (laughs) overreact to what is going down there. How's that for a setup? All right, here we go. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to that, by the way. Uh, so let me start by saying that this is the next Marlins fire sale because they've already had three in the last 15 years. Uh, and really, this one's just kind of shaping up to be as bad as the last one, which happened in 2012. Uh, let me just give you a little breakdown of how those kind of worked out. In 2005, after success, by the way, with the Florida as a Florida Marlins franchise, the Marlins traded seven of their eight starting position players and their, one of their top two pitchers and then traded the other two important position player and starting pitchers 18 months later. So they literally flipped 11, their 11 best players in 18 months in 2005 for a salary dump and really for just a complete rebuild because they had young prospects that they wanted to acquire or already had in hand and they wanted to kind of start over. Fast forward to 2012, they did the exact same thing, even worse. They traded nine notable players and their top two starting pitchers and their entire infield, and they shed $73 million in payroll for the 2013 season with those moves. So it was a situation where they just didn't want to be able to have to pay it towards that luxury tax. They didn't want to get close to it. And here we are in 2017, and it's much of the same. Obviously, Paul mentioned the big names that have gone. There's others. There's D. Gordon. There's Marcelo Zuna. And there's two, at least two more who I think will move based on reports. Uh, I think JT Realmuto, Real their catcher, is on the move. And I still think Starlin Castro, who they acquired from the Yankees for Gene Carlo Stanton, is going to get flipped again because they don't want his $10 million salary this year. Uh, basically, we're in a situation where, like I said, in 2012, they shed $73 million. Right now, they've shed almost $52 million in 2018. And if they ship those two players I just mentioned, they'll be at $73 million again. So they've got, a, they've got a payroll that they want to get at $90 million, which in 2018, if you want to contend and you, you've got a $90 million payroll and you're not the Houston Astros, <laughs> you, uh, you better have something special in terms of these young prospects because that is a, that is a figure... That is di- very difficult to do in terms of winning. Oh, go ahead, Kevin. Well, I just so well. The first thing that um, I haven't followed the baseball salaries, yeah. um, uh, overall team spending. Ninety million still seems like a healthy spending uh, when you when you're talking. I'm saying ninety million dollars. You're close to a hundred million dollars, but you're telling me they're they're going to be terrible at ninety million because you can't compete with that. I'm saying if you lose a player like Jim Carl Stanton. And don't replace him with a player or three players that are even close to John Carl Stanton. And your goal is $90 million, which means you're not acquiring any of these major free agents, which means you're not acquiring any, any trade, trade guys this offseason or during the, during the season, because that's going to be part of this too. Uh, I, I'm saying it will be extremely hard to find talent to replace what you've given up, given the number that they're trying to get to at this point. All right, so 90 million payroll looking at, at uh, the team rankings puts you as the 22nd 
uh, ranked team in total payroll. Here's here's where I want to, uh, and I don't pretend to be, certainly I'm not a Marlins fan, certainly I don't invest any of my money in season tickets, nor in Stanton or Yelich jerseys that would make me very angry. But, but has there been a better example of how to rip it down and build it back up again than the Marlins? Right? After the first time they mentioned it, I believe they won a World Series after that, correct? Um, and again, you mentioned if you are not the Houston Astros. Well, how do you think you get to be the Houston Astros? I think Derek Jeter walked in there and said, we have a bloated salary that gets us no results. What is the sense of continuing this when the pattern of the Pirates, Royals, Astros has been to do exactly what the Marlins are doing, build around a young core, and and have success that way. So I don't know if the Marlins are doing anything that hasn't already been proven as a way for anybody but the biggest market teams to eventually find success. I'm, I'm okay with all that. And I'm a proponent of building with value and building with timing and building with you know a plan in place. I, I threw that out the window when they traded John Carl Stanton. And they traded him to the Yankees. Right, because they, that was a situation where they didn't even get the best prospects back. Right, they, they could have shopped him to anywhere. They could have got prospects from any market in this country, and they, they sent him to a team that had limited prospects. So, if if the game if the game plan was we needed to trim fat, get ourselves in a better situation financially, and then win as quickly as possible, there is no reason that should have included John Carl Stanton because even at twenty five million dollars a year which in, you know, in three years, that's going to be, what, 15th in the league, honestly, quite honestly. There's no way to, to make his production come forward in the next two years without Bryce Harper signing there, without Mike Trout signing there, or without some prospect that they think they have that we don't know about yet, right? What I'm saying is it, it, the on-the-field production that they've given up is absolutely not replaceable. I mean, you had, they literally gave away their entire outfield this year, and all three of those outfielders had career years, right? So they sold them high. Great. But there's no way to replace that production. It, it also tells me they, the confidence they had in the team to win. They didn't think the team was going to do anything, or else they would have kept those players. I mean, that, that, that's part of it also. Uh, new ownership comes in. If you think you can win, um, obviously they would have hung on to those players to try to bring a World Series because they know they'd make the money by people showing up and buying merchandise and all that great jazz. But that's the other interesting point to me, right? Because we talk about, you know, being able to win. And part of that is timing and part of that is your division, right? Well, we've got a situation where the Mets had a terrible season and they're, they're, they're going to have to, you know, pay some of these pitchers in the next 18 months to keep them, them in fold. And they're not huge payroll guys in terms of how that usually works. So a lot of those pieces may fall off the, off the wagon. The Phillies are rebuilding. I mean, they are they stripped it down two years ago, and they're just starting to build their pieces back. And, yeah, lowest payroll in the league mm-hmm. right now. And, and that will stay that way, most likely, unless the Marlins do more damage. But then you've got a situation with Washington, and I just, I just mentioned Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper's a free agent after this season. And while it's been said that Washington has tried to extend him, there is very, very little belief that Bryce Harper will be a Washington National next year. So you've got a situation where everyone else in your division – appears to be faltering in terms of their building process. And the Marlins, yeah, they won 77 games. They were second place last season. And I just mentioned three or four names who had career years. These guys were on a path to, to succeed 
for not just next year, but for maybe five years in terms of this core together, and they completely dismantled the core. So if you're telling me that they're, they're shedding payroll because there's a chance for them to get che- younger, cheaper, and win quicker, I can't buy that because this team was ready to win with the core they had. Yeah, I don't dispute the fact that that you make a good case for they should have built around John Carlos Stanton, not just gutted him. The only thing I could suspect was that the powers that be, including Jeter, said he's not he's not worth having that kind of salary. Uh, it's going to drag us down and not help us build around him. And that's just a that's a, a decision that that someone's hopefully smarter than us would make. But I think my only point in all this, Mike, is we've seen plenty of teams in all different sports um, gut their roster of famous names and it sends the fans in a tizzy and it sends media people criticizing and ripping uh, until two to three years later when they're contending for championships and nobody remembers all the guys that walked out the door and the Astros are the prime example of it and frankly let's spin this around to where we started our conversation it's the Patriots model in a lot of ways is don't overpay pay exactly market value get more of those players find the right roles for them. I don't know how well it translates from baseball to football, but you have got to think that Derek Jeter has paid attention and noticed what has happened with the Patriots, and maybe he's trying to bring some of that same thinking to Major League Baseball. I I can buy that with Stanton because of his $25 million salary, but Christian Yelich was the best value outfielder in baseball last year. I mean, his, his extension was one of the best value extensions in baseball. I mean, he was he was already on a perfect deal, um, and he, his production was outstanding. Marcelo Zuna was an arbitration. I mean, he cost nine million this year. He's going to cost a little more than that next year. I, I mean, you're 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 talking about forty plus home run guys, hundred plus RBI guys for ten million dollars a year. So I, I I can't get around gutting those kind of players, young, talented, fairly cheap players that should be part of the process. They should be part of the plan. Those are, those are homegrown players that have come up and have shown that they've grown into the system and you've gutted the system. So while on a, on a, on a global scape, I'm a big fan of trimming fat when you can, getting rid of guys when you, need, when you, you know you need to. I just don't think the Marlins needed to do it this year. I think this is an overreaction from a new, a new ownership role, uh, a piece where the, the money looked huge on paper, but they were getting production from that money, and I think they really uh, sort of screwed the pooch here a little bit. Yeah, the optics of it are bad, and my opinion is the new ownership group took advantage of being new to say, we're going to do it our way, our own process, and they used that excuse to just cut payroll and save a bunch of money in the first year. Well, it's going to be interesting to see if and how many more moves uh, the Marlins make along with other teams like the Pittsburgh Pirates. Yes. Paul, let's have, let's have a bet here, right? Let's okay. have a bet. Mar- right. Marlins wins over the next, <laughs> should we say that next year or two seasons? Uh, over under the next two, two seasons. seasons. Because they're going to play a lot of young guys who aren't let's really ready to play. This let's year. do it. Over under 100 wins. Over the next two, two seasons. seasons. All right. I'm, I go over, obviously. Over. We'll see. All right. All right, we'll see. Well, hang on. What, what kind of bet's a bet without something on the line here? What do you? What do you? I, I, here's the deal. If uh, you if it's over a hundred, 
Mike buys the tickets to a Marlins game that you guys are going to go to. <laughs> if it's under 100, you buy the tickets, but you're going to go to a Marlins game. No, nobody wants to go to a Marlins game. Right. <laughs> well, it'll be and a that's Mets. part of the problem, it, too. It'll be when the Mets uh, host the Marlins, all right? right? Yeah. All right. That way we can all get on board with the Mets game. All right. Uh, <laughs> that does it for this edition of the SpotTrack.com podcast. A lot of great Super Bowl talk and great baseball talk, which we'll have more of here as uh, we continue in the baseball offseason and then pitchers and catchers are reporting very, very, very soon and we get into baseball season. For Mike Giannetti and Paul Peck, I'm Kevin Sylvester. Thanks for listening to the SpotTrack.com podcast.